Hey, I'm Amar Chohan. And I'm Charlotte Williams. Thanks for tuning in to Love, Hate, Create, our podcast about the world of modern advertising. We speak with the smartest people from the industry to find out whether we should be outraged or optimistic about where things are heading. Welcome to Love, Hate, Create, Cindy Gallup. Um, We are so delighted to have you on the podcast by popular demand. Many people have requested you. Um, A quick intro to Cindy. I'm sure many of you will be familiar with Cindy, but she's the self-proclaimed Michael Bay of business. For those who don't know, he's the director who who liked explosions. Um, She's the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, the world's first user-generated crowdsourced social sex video sharing platform. Um, She's also known very much for saying what a lot of people are thinking, but are often too scared to say. Um, And she has enjoyed, or or has she, we'll find out, a long um, career in advertising. And her most recent position there was at Bartle Boggle Hegarty in the US, BBH as it's known, in the US, where she was chairman and president. Um, So there we go. Welcome, Cindy Gallup. Delighted to have you. Thank you. Thrilled to be here. Great to have you with us, Cindy. You like to blow shit up. Have you blown anything up this week? This week? Oh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's been What's been on your on your agenda for for this closing period of the year? Um. Well, um. The the same thing that that always is, which is I am one hundred percent focused on raising some serious funding for Make Love Not Porn. So that's been mm-hmm. my focus for the whole of this year and continues to be my focus going into 2024. Excellent. Blowing it up. So what we're going to start with, you know, the format of this podcast, we ask you what you love, um, what you hate, strong word, and also the change that you would create if you could, if you had a magic wand over the industry. Now this is around, you know, this is a podcast that's focused on, on marketing, advertising, branding, that whole sphere, creativity. Um, so we'd love to hear hear you talk more about that. And we, first of all, we're going to ask you, of course, what it is that you love or what are you loving at the moment? So um, what I love about our industry is how extraordinarily clever you have to be to do what we do. And I say that because... Our industry does not get enough credit for that fact. So to be excellent at advertising and marketing, you have to be a master of human psychology. You have to be phenomenal at consumer insight, at the understanding of human nature. You know, I I say to people about my you know, 38 years working in advertising, that I have spent 38 years working in the business of getting people to do things that they originally had no intention of doing. And that requires extremely ingenious strategy and highly creative execution. And, you know, I I just love how much that's been evidenced at every single agency I've ever worked at, with every team I've ever worked with. And there's a correlation to that, which is that a pressing fact that a lot of that brilliance 
never ever sees the light of day. So anybody worth their salt in our industry has a metaphorical bottom drawer, um, and, and by the way, they often have an actual bottom drawer, that contains their list of bloody brilliant work that never got made. And anybody worth their salt in our industry remains red hot with rage to this day about that fact. I absolutely have my list and, you know, I am red hot with rage to this day. And, you know, the, the reasons for that work not getting made, you know, are familiar to everybody in our industry. You know, it's dependent on the client's appetite for risk. I have frequently quoted over the years the satirical um, Twitter account, Lee Klaus Beard. Um, the wonderful um, thing they said many years ago, which was, the client wants something completely new and three examples of how it's worked before. So client appetite for risk, um, client budgets, you know, to, um, at the mercy of client budgets, um, at the mercy of client politics, you know, who gets to prove what. Um, and so, you know, what I really, really love about this industry is just the extraordinary brilliance that you see every single day from people who are passionately committed to bringing all of this brilliance, all of this strategic ingenuity, in ingenuity, all of this creativity to solving clients' business problems. That's what I love. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think that in today's age with the platforms in particular at a marketer's disposal, our ability to just do more stuff and make those ideas, albeit not as a shiny, really highly produced spot um, would be possible. We were talking to Chris Watler from TikTok just the other day on, on an episode and she was telling us all about how a lot of agencies, unfortunately, just haven't recalibrated themselves to be able to churn more content out in uh, at the kind of velocity and the volume that is now possible today. And I think, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, that that is a bit of a hangover from where we've come from as an industry, right? We have an obsession with perfection and craft, and rightly so in some scenarios. But that, for me, seems like part of the reason why so many of these ideas are in the bottom drawer in today's age, they could be made, albeit in a slightly different style. What What do you think? Um, do you know it's not that, Amar? Okay. Um, so, um, so I have pinned to my LinkedIn profile a talk that I gave um, 11 years ago to the Guardian Media Summit in London uh, called Redesigning the Business of Advertising. I've watched it. And the reason, the yeah, reason, me too. And the reason I have an eleven-year-old talk pinned to my LinkedIn profile is because our industry is still spectacularly failing to do anything that I recommend in that in that talk. And if you've watched it, you'll recall that one of the points I make in it is that you cannot <clears throat> you cannot do new world order business from an old world order place. And all agencies and client organizations at old world order places. And what I mean by that is um, that systems and processes are born of a time when the process used to be linear. 
So once upon a time, you know, back in the day, what you did was you shot the big Outtham TV commercial. Then you shot the matching printers. Then you did everything else collateral, including that final thing called a website. Today, everything's changed, but the systems and processes and structures still haven't. And, you know, when I, when I talk publicly about this, um, I have a point that I make from the stage to audiences, purely for effect, where I say to them, it doesn't actually matter how brilliant any of you think I am. It doesn't matter if anything I say today sparks innovative, disruptive thinking. It doesn't matter what brilliant ideas any of you have as a result of anything I say from the stage. If you go back to the office tomorrow morning and you plug all of that inspiration, all that brilliance, all that innovation disruption back into the same old world order systems and processes, you get the same old world order crap out the other end. That's the problem. And, and that's especially the problem because, and again, I talk about this in that talk and I've been talking about it, you know, ever since. But, you know, what our industry, and actually this isn't true, there are some players in our industry who, who do know how to do this, but, you know, um, what they have not understood is that today, um, if you want to be really creative and effective on the turn of a dime, you've got to be able to operate with real-time responsiveness. And what that requires is a key component that is fundamentally missing from our industry. And what I mean by that is, so something else I've been saying for years is that there is absolutely a formula for guaranteed business success. There is a formula. Let's hear it. Tell us. And, and when you apply it, exactly as I'm about to share with you, you will be successful, guaranteed. It's mm. very simple. The formula goes like this. When you seek out and hire and retain the very best talent in the marketplace, when you then give that talent a really compelling and inspirational vision of what you want them to achieve for you and the business, when you then step right back and enable and empower that talent to achieve those goals in any way that they choose to using their own unique individual skills and talents. Mm. When at the same time, you make it clear to that talent how enormously you value them, not just financially through compensation, but verbally, vocally, every day. And when you enable that talent to share in the profit they help create, you'll be successful. Mm. It's that simple, and virtually nobody does it because what that formula requires is a high-trust working environment. Yes. And pretty yes. much every working environment is low-trust because the old-world order corporate hierarchy is predicated on the concept that the person at the top does not trust the people just below, who in turn do not trust people just below them, and it's one big cascade of low-trust all the way to the bottom like a champagne fountain. To be enormously creative in real time in our industry today requires trust. You may remember years ago, the Super Bowl case study of Oreo cookies. Um, here yes, in the US. of course. You know, and, and for the benefit of our listeners who may not recall this, 
you know, um, during the Super Bowl years ago, I've forgotten which Super Bowl it was, um, but basically, you know, there was a blackout. You know, all the power went, you know, there were something like 15 minutes of complete darkness while, you know, the game paused, you know, um, and during that blackout, Oreo tweeted, and again, this is back in the day when Twitter was a powerhouse, not the shit show it is currently. Um, Oreo <laughs> tweeted um, a visual, um, which was of Oreo cookies next to a glass of milk in the dark with a spotlight, and it said, you can still dunk in the dark. You know, playing on, obviously, the way a lot of people eat Oreos is, is by dunking them in a glass of milk. That tweet and that visual shot around the world. You know, in terms of, you know, earned media impressions and value. It was worth multi-millions of, of dollars. The reason that happened was because um, pre the Super Bowl, um, the client in the agency, um, and I think um, I think uh, the agency was BBDR, could be wrong, um, back in the day. Um, but basically, they set up a Super Bowl war room. You know, they put her at war room, um, accounting the creatives, you know, um, the, the key decision makers from the client side. And they basically said, we trust you. You know the brand positioning. You know the brand yeah. voice. You know, you know, how the brand communicates. Anything that happens during the Super Bowl, you are free to get all over creatively and put out whatever you want. We trust you. And that's yeah. And that is what you need. Pay dividends, right? Responsiveness for being creative on the turn of a dime in today's world. And that is what allows too few agencies and clients enable. Yeah, it, you're absolutely. 360i was the agency. I'm just fact checking. Right, right. And I remember it well and it won a ton of awards. And, and like you say, it was almost people, it was the most vi viral tweet, I believe, up until that point. I think a Ooh. Kanye yeah. tweet might have <laughs> hit another shit show, Ooh. might have picked that one. But yeah, it's, it's incredible, right? The impact. But so when you talk about systems and processes, I feel like maybe there's a proxy there really for, for people, right? Not not trusting people, the systems and the processes, i.e. the leadership of a lot of agencies, perhaps driven by fear, are not instilling trust or or, or trusting their, their employees, right? And you can feel that, can't you, when you work for some someone? You it's very palpable. Yeah, it's like another of our guests said, right? It's about yeah. a culture. It's mm. rather than just strategy, uh, systems and processes, it's the culture of trust that enables yeah. and uh, unlocks that kind of work. And, you know, um, what is a huge shame is, you know, so, you know, I began working in advertising in London back in 1985. So, um, you know, I've seen a lot of things um, change in the industry over time. And mm. one of the things that I deplore is I remember when storyboards were simply a guide. Because you knew that in the hands of a brilliant director on set and with, you know, brilliant creatives and a client who trusted you on set as well, um, you could make magic happen in ways that had not been previously storyboarded. You know, um, again, harking back to a very old example, you remember the, um, um, I think it was... Um, uh, Tiger Woods, um, the Nike hacky sack commercial. 
you know, that that was, um, if, it, if, it, if as I recall, it was Tiger Woods, it was so long ago, but, you know, that was Tiger Woods fooling around on set, you know, whatever it was, and, 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 and then they filmed it. Um, you know, so, so I absolutely remember when the storyboards were just a guide, and in my time in advertising, I saw that move too, the client going, you shoot exactly what's on the storyboard, because that's every single frame has been signed off by 13 layers on the client's side. Do not dare deviate from that by one iota on the set. And, and that is not how you then make magic happen. You know, you make magic happen when an idea has room to breathe. And, and, and when on the day, you know, when you are actually filming or you're shooting or, you know, um, you're producing or creating in whatever form, there is the leeway to go, as we're doing this, we see an opportunity here to make it even better and to make it better. Yeah, very different mentality. And do you think that's got, got worse then? Because you're talking about it as, you know, you've been in the industry for 38 years. That's a very long time. Do you think that that has that mentality, that lack of um, risk-taking, do you think that has got worse since um, well, um, you, you know, started? Obviously, um, obviously now, um, you know, I left the corporate advertising world 18 years ago. So now yeah. I observe from the outside. Um, mm. But, but ob obviously, you know, I still do a number of things within the industry. You know, I, I do industry. I have a lot of friends in the industry. And, and yes, I think it's gotten worse. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, um, I mean, it's gotten worse also um, in terms of something you will hear, you know, a lot of agency people bemoan. And, and by the way, again, this mm. is not true across the board because there are absolutely um, agencies who work with clients in this way. But you know, when I started advertising, we were absolutely seen as a client's business partner. You know, we were their first port of call for, you know, strategic consultation, business advice. You know, when I was being trained um, and, you know, I, I started my advertising career at an agency called Ted Bates that no longer exists. Um, back, back in the day when, and I'm assuming this no longer happens, but back in the day when, um, agencies, this is in the UK, um, you know, hired graduate trainees and put you through an intensive six-month-long training program where you worked in every single department in the agency. So you saw, you know, every single component of the process. You know, you really understood it from the inside out. And it was also when, you know, I remember, you know, being told um, as an account person, you know, as an account person, your job is to understand the client's business better than they do. And, and, and we absolutely did. You know, and, 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 you know, the, these days, um, you know, unfortunately, and, and by the way, you know, over time, the industry, our industry has colluded in its own devaluation because we are now seen as vendors and suppliers. And people who do what the client tells us to do. And again, this is not across the board, you know, they're absolutely still mm -hmm. very good client relationships, um, you know, across many agencies, but predominantly independent agencies, you know, and, and, and that's a huge shame because going back to what I said, I love clients are missing out on brilliance that could enormously help their business. Yeah. So the independents are the ones to watch. Um, yeah, um, because, I mean, the holding companies are, 
don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, we okay. could talk about that for a long time. So you've told us about what you, you love and a little bit about what you don't like already, but what is it that you hate about this world that we operate in? So um, what I hate is, um, and, you know, I've been saying this for literally decades, but I'm going to say it again to the benefit of our listeners because uh. until this changes, I'm going to keep saying it. Um, what, what I hate is um, two things because the second thing I hate is a subset of the first. So I hate the fact that... Um, our industry is completely incapable of reinventing itself because at the top of our industry is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. Those white guys are sitting very pretty. They have their enormous salaries, their gigantic bonuses, their big pools of stock options, their lavish expense accounts. Why on earth? Would they ever want to rock the boat? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 they have to talk diversity. They have to appoint chief diversity officers. They have to have a diversity initiatives. They have to say the word diversity a lot, especially in public. Mm -hmm. Secretly, deep down inside, they don't want to change a thing because the system is working just fine for them as it currently is. It's like the old joke about the light bulb. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to really want to change. And in our industry, the light bulb does not really want to change. So I hate that. Mm. Which is why... Couldn't agree more. Which is why, you know, um, for a number of years, I tried to make change within the system, and then I realized it was impossible. And so now I work to make change happen outside the system. And that is why I say to women, people of color in our industry, anybody who is not a white guy, start your own industry. And what I mean by that is, I mean start your own agency, um, but not an agency like any of the ones you see around you. Start something that gives you agency. But I deliberately articulate it as start your own industry. Because when you start your own business, you can design that business to work any way you want it to. You can design in the workplace culture in which you thrive. You can design in the work-life balance that you want to have. You can design in the business model that means you make money the way you want to make money. And when you do that, you are starting the industry that we all want to live and work in. So, so that's the first thing I hate. But the second thing I hate that is, is a subset of that is... So, um, as I said, I've been banging this drum for literally decades, and mm. I I'm thrilled to say that every year I hear from people who started their own industry because of what I inspired them to do. Um, but here's the thing. In every other industry, um, and especially um in the world of Silicon Valley and the world of tech. Um, at, at, at the top of every industry, at the top of tech is a clear of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. Um, so those white guys make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money. And then in every other industry, 
those white guys take that money they've made and they invest it back into the industry because they see the potential in the future. The really obvious example is um, the PayPal mafia. You know, yeah. those white guys made a shit ton of money out of fintech. Absolutely because of that, saw the potential of fintech and invested the money they made back into a shit ton of fintech ventures. You know, PayPal, you know, um, PayPal mafia funded, Stripe funded, Square, but you know, et cetera, et cetera. Not in our industry. The white guys at the top of our industry have made an absolute gun fucking shit ton of money out of it, are not investing that money back into the future of advertising. And by the way, that is a massive indictment of how they see the future of advertising and how they see the industry as a money-making machine for themselves, but not an industry whose future they believe in because they are not funding the future of the industry, which is all of the women black people, people of color, LGBTQ people who are literally starting their own industries and reinventing our industry and with the businesses that they're founding and they can't get fucking funded. And by the way, what do the white guys at the top of our industry do when they make that money is they go, ooh, I want to rush off and play with the big boys of Silicon Valley because that's where all the sexy actions happening. So they have absolutely funded um, tech companies and they funded um, male-founded companies outside of our industry. And by the way, I know this because I've, I've talked to those founders and I know big names in our industry who are giving them money. And they are not putting the money they've made back into investing it into the future of our industry. And I hate that. So much of this resonates. First of all, you may have been saying it for decades, but do keep on saying it. Because keep saying it. Change definitely uh there's still definitely a long way to go but um i'm an example of one of the people that are trying to create their own industry and you are definitely a voice that's influenced that um, my company moonshoot is trying to change the established order in advertising and we're living the same kind of reality um only just starting to to raise funds but it's it's hard work it is it is not a uh, there aren't those um, many open doors as maybe some other founders might get. But ask me again in three months, and I'll tell you how we've got on and got on, and hopefully I'll have some lessons to share for anyone else that's uh, trying to embark on a, on a similar journey. So first of all, yeah, keep on saying it. I think it's it's absolutely needed, and kudos to you for for doing it. Second of all, what do you what advice do you give then to uh, a founder like me or the women and the people of color that aspire to do this, but maybe feel a bit daunted about the fact that those uh, fundraising efforts probably are going to be a hell of a challenge. So uh, what I say, first of all, is you are the future of, of our industry. Okay. And secondly, you know, the one good thing about what we do is that it is incredibly easy to start your own industry because in the first instance, you don't need funding. Yeah. You only need two things, your brain and your network. You know, your brain is your business. You know, I mean, that, that's been true about our industry forever. You know, the old truism about, you know, um, your assets go down in the lift every night. I mean, you know, yeah, of course. Our industry is down the escalator. Brave. That's it. You know. Yes. So, um, so, so, so again, because I'm encouraging everyone to start their own industry, and and I explain that you actually don't need money to start. All you need is your brain, 
your network, because within your network is everybody who can do the things that you can't. You know, you may have the, you know, strategic and creative brain, and then you will know the producer, you will know the director, you will know the photographer, etc. within your network, you know. Um, and and then with your brain and your network, and, 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 and again, by the way, especially because today you can work remotely, you can work from anywhere, you know, you can you can meet with your clients in coffee shops and hotel lobbies or whatever. You absolutely do not need officers. You know, you have no overheads in the in, in the old world order sense. And then, you know, all you need is one client to start with who gets it. Right. And you're in business. You know, and that one client becomes a case study you can use to, you know, pitch your next client, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. So, and, and, you know, I, I really encourage people, you know, um, not to worry about, you know, raising funding until you have proof of concept, you know. And and then um, I encourage people to adopt my unique investor finding strategy. And, and what I mean by that is, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm working to raise funding to make love, not porn. And my my challenge there fundamentally is I know that my investors are out there and there are a ton of them. There are a ton of them in every single country in the world. They are impossible to find by the usual means because they all have one thing in common. Your willingness to fund Make Love Not Porn is entirely a function of your personal sexual journey. Yeah. It is a function of your personal lens on sex and sexuality that's being shaped by your own experience of it. And obviously, I have no way to research and target for that especially because sex is the one area where you cannot tell from the outside what anybody thinks on the inside. The people who look like they would totally get it, don't. The people who look like complete prunes do. So my strategy deliberately is I put what I'm doing out there all the time across all my social channels. I do every media interview I've I go on every single podcast because I have to make synaptic connections happen that will attract those investors to me. Now, theoretically, this is a long, slow, painful, and highly inefficient process. In practice, it works. You know, I've been frankly gobsmacked at the amount of incoming investor interest I get on LinkedIn. And by the way- From white men? I just need to ask, are these white men? (laughs) Do you know, they are predominantly white men, funny enough. Um, They're also women, they're also color, you know, but you know, If, if you had told me 10 years ago that one day I would say to you, I'm all about LinkedIn, I would have laughed in your face. Today, I'm all about LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my number one investor lead generator. Um, and, and I'm sharing this with you because, you know, um, while I'm forced to um, adopt this investor planning strategy because I have a sex tech business, um, the same principle applies. It is only ever about the people who really get it. And so I recommend anybody who is at the point where they need to raise funding, you know, for their, the industry they're starting, put what you're doing out there, especially on LinkedIn, because you will attract the people who get it to you. And the people who get it will really get it. They'll go, fuck me. That's a billion dollar business in the making. I want to fund that. Incredible. And you only need, like you say, one or two of those. So because you are so so out there, Cindy, you know, you are you're constantly blowing shit up it it does like you say there's it only takes one or two people with deep pockets right to to come forward and just on that I mean I'd like to say as someone you know 
I remember you were on our film, Kill Your Darlings, and there you talked about this circle jerk of white men talking to white men about other white men. And I know that resonated with so many people because I got so many emails afterwards, and I'm sure you did, saying how incredible, and they were inspired to do this, and I think I sent you a couple. Um, and and it, it's the same. I, I started my own thing just, just shortly after that, and I think you're absolutely right. I would just like to, to reiterate the point. You don't need anything apart from your brain, maybe a laptop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And your network. And, and actually, I, in fact, starting your own business, I think these days is actually more stable and um, a more of a certain bet than being employed by an employer, no, quite which, frankly. I'm sure, I'm sure, absolutely. I mean, this is something I've been saying again for decades. Too many people make the mistake of thinking that a job is the safe option. It's not. It's not. Because not anymore. in a job, you are at the complete mercy of management changes, industry downturns, Marketplace dynamics, I would say to people, whose hands would you rather place your future in? Those of a large corporate entity who at the end of the day doesn't give a shit about you, or someone who will always have your best interests at heart, i.e. you. You. <laughs> there you go. Listen to that. Um, exactly. A hundred percent. Wonderful. So we've talked about what you hate. Anything else you want to add to that? Cindy, because that was a nope, that's powerful it. manifesto. Yeah. So what is it then, if you could, we might have talked to some of this, um, what would you create? What would you change? What would create? And how would you go about doing that? Right. So I am, I am creating something right now, or rather I, I, I have the concept. I, I'm now trying to raise the funding to actually build it um, because in this particular case, I, I, do need, um, I do need the funding to be able to... Um, uh, manifest this. So um, I have been putting the call out again for literally decades um, <laughs> to the women of our industry to start ad tech ventures. And the reason I've been doing that is because ad tech is as white bro dominated as advertising and tech. Mm -hmm. We as women are the primary target of all advertising because we are the primary purchasers and influencers, purchasers of everything. But we are targeted and sold to through the white male lens. And to add insult to injury, in ad tech, the white bros are the ones making all the goddamn money out of that. So for years, I've said women in the advertising industry start ad tech ventures through the female mm. lens because we yeah. know how to sell to ourselves. So at the same time, um, it's enormously frustrating to me that Make Love Not Porn is currently banned from advertising anywhere. We cannot advertise on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Google, Reddit, Reddit, I ask you, YouTube, Twitter, Twitter, I ask you. Um, and, and, and by the way, it's not just us. Um, there is a gendered bias at play here. Any female lens, sexual health and wellness venture is also banned from advertising. Menstruation, menopause, fertility. In the meantime, look, male sexual health and wellness, not a problem. Erectile dysfunction solutions welcome everywhere. Everywhere, so, yeah. So <laughs> I, I am all about building solutions to my own problems. And so I decided the time had come to take my own advice and build my own ad tech. So um, I, I have um, a concept for an ad tech product that... In the first instance, I want to pilot across my own properties, by which I mean make love, not porn, 
and um, Make Love Not Porn Academy, which is a zero to 18 um, sex education expansion. I'm also raising funding to build at the moment. Um, so I want to pilot this um, in order to prove concept in a way that will then enable me to turn it into an ad exchange that plugs in everywhere else. So I want to build ad tech that operates on the complete opposite of the existing white bro ad tech model, which, as you know, is, you know, all about reach, eyeballs, clickbait, and a shit ton of fraud. I want to build ad tech that serves ads that people actively want to watch. So much so, it will be destination viewing in itself, which is why I'm calling it Here for the Ads. I've actually bought the URL hereforthads.com um, to be a marketing site in due course where, where I can launch this. Yeah. And there are three reasons why people will want to watch the ads that my ad tech serves. The first is that when I can get the pilot for this funded and, and a minimum viable product built and launched, I'm going to open my ad tech up to everybody like me who is currently banned advertising, which is, as I said, a very broad swathe of businesses, but also very importantly, it's not just small businesses like mine. Um, my friends are Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Essity, Reckitt. They can't advertise Sampro, condoms lube the way they want to either. You know, so right. we're talking a huge revenue generator. Yeah. Um, so the first reason people will want to watch these ads is because these will be ads for products that help us all in these most intimate areas of our lives that we're all desperate for help with, but they cannot see these ads anywhere else because they're banned. So from a purely informational, educational point of view, this is where you go to be made aware of the products that solve the issues you badly want solved. But the second reason people will want to watch these ads is because on Here for the Ads, you can advertise any bloody way you like. No censorship, no holds barred. And I use the term bloody advisedly because Sampro ads, forget the blue ink on the pad, bring on the blood, have fun with it. We are talking, as you know, every brand and ad agency's dream creatively. Be funny, engaging, entertaining in all of these areas, which is why here for the ads, we'll have a share button. Because these are ads that people are going to want to forward to everybody they know. This will be the only ad tech where going viral is a built-in feature, not a happens by chance. And the third reason people will want to watch these ads is because at the heart of everything we do at Make Love Not Porn lies human curation. This is ad tech you apply to be allowed to advertise on. Our curators will decide whether A, we endorse your brand or product. You've got to be legitimate. And B, whether you're advertised of sufficient quality to be served on an ad channel, it's all about ads that people actively want to watch. Um, but as I said, you know, I want to pilot this to prove concept because the people currently banning all of us from advertising on their platforms don't know what it'd be like if they allowed us to. They just don't be really bad. In their heads, they have this abstract concept of Oh my God, Sodom and Gomorrah will ensue if we allow these brands to advertise. When I can show you an ad channel where these brands are advertising, you can see for yourself that the brands and products are legitimate, the sky does not fall, the ads are fantastic, people love them, they're going viral at the rate of knots, and we're making a shit ton of revenue. 
that is when not only can I turn here for the ads into an ad exchange that plugs in everywhere else, I help break down the barriers for advertising for all of us across the event as a whole. Yeah, I think so, it sounds... Um, looking for funding, um, anybody listening, <laughs> you know, um, media out the listeners, side brands, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, if, if you're willing to fund a pilot, you know, hit me up, send you so a big... It sounds like, it, I mean, ads is almost the wrong word, right? Because it's entertainment, it's going to be high quality, human... And you're right, because, because the thing is, Charlotte, you know... Um, I have designed all of my own advertising philosophies into here for the ads uh -huh. because, you know, I do the advocacy work I do because I bloody love advertising. I bloody love our industry. And uh -huh. as I mentioned earlier, you know, I came up through the ranks in advertising, you know, starting in London in the late 80s when, you know, um, when, and, and especially by the way, in the UK, there is, there is a popular culture of love of advertising. You know, um, advertising, especially in UK culture, as you guys know, is baked into, it's something we all enjoy. And, but, you know, all those years ago, I remember when I would go to the cinema with my friends, we would say, we've got to arrive in time for the ads because we were the ones making the ads. And back in those days, you knew that if you were creating ads that were going to run in movie theaters ahead of the movie, they had to be as good as the movie. You know, that was the heyday of Benson and Hedges or our Levi's ads at BBH. You know, um, ads that were little cinematic productions in themselves. And, um, and, and so here for the ads is designed to make people love advertising again. You know, um, um, if you watch my, you know, 12-year-old talk um, on my LinkedIn profile, Redesigned Advertising, I begin that talk by saying to the audience, Think about all the millions of advertising messages that we all get every day. And then think about the ones within them that are the ones that go something like this. You can download this for free if you just agree to watch these ads. You can make these calls free from your phone if you agree to receive these ads to it. Skip this ad, subtext, you know you want to. The pre-roll video announcement, only 10 more seconds, only nine more seconds. We know you're suffering, we know it's horrible. Hang on in there, only three more seconds. What all those messages are driven by and what they communicate is that advertising is a very bad thing. They communicate that advertising is a very bad thing and that we therefore have to be begged, bribed, cajoled, persuaded, tricked, deceived, and blackmailed into watching it. And I cite the fact that many years ago, um, I saw Mark Goldstein speak at a conference here in the US when he was the CEO of Fallon. And he said, people hate advertising in general, but they love advertising in particular. And what he meant by that was, if you ask the woman in the street, what do you think of advertising? She'll go, bloody hate it. Gets away with all my favorite shows. As ever I go, it follows me around the internet. But if you ask the woman in the street, what's your favorite ad? She'll go, oh, I really love that Nike ad where people hate advertising in general, but they love advertising in particular. And in that talk 11 years ago, I said, we have to find a way to make people love advertising in general if we want to have a future. And so I designed here for the ads to make people love advertising in general. I think it sounds fantastic. You're certainly on something. And I think this combination of content and commerce is really interesting as well. I don't know if you're familiar with a business called Planet Woo. Um, it's launched by a chap called Stephen Mai, who's ex-Boiler Room. Um, but there are so many 
like media outlets, right? Content businesses about wellness and health and fitness. And actually, it seems like you have an opportunity here about sexual health and intimacy and all of those other things that unfortunately at the moment are deemed taboo for ridiculous reasons. And if you can create content about those topics that, as you know, as we all know, people want to know about and learn about and read about, um, and then layer in the advertising and the product plugs and the native type um, commerce element, that's that's interesting. That sounds really powerful. I, th- I, I, but, I but, would... also, but also, Amar, to be honest, you know, it's not about content, it's about ads. You know, because we do brilliant things in 30 seconds. You know, imagine being able to do brilliant things in a 30-second ad for Make Love Not Born. You know, right now we can't run that anywhere. And, and by the way, um, we, we have regularly had agencies reach out to our agencies, you know, write all the time and, you know, Cindy, I love what you're doing. You know, we would love to create a campaign for you. And and I, I always have to respond, I go, guys, I love the fact you want to do that. There's no point unless you can find me somewhere to run it. That's the problem, you know. And, and so I'm talking about showcasing the brilliance of our industry, everything we love about our industry in ads that are completely unfettered and untrammeled and able to bring entertainment and engagement and education to all of these areas. Um, and, and by the way, it's really important as well because we are going backwards as a society. Giant tech is censoring. You know, Google absolutely censors searches for anything to do with, with the entire area of sexual health and wellness, which means people cannot get the help they need and cannot find the products they need. So we're talking about a huge opportunity. And by the way, I will say that the people I talk to who have an advertising background or a tech background go, you know, this idea is phenomenal. And I can absolutely see it making a shit ton of money. So there's interest. You you need the advertisers to come forward, right? Um, no, uh, um, no, I just need um, to, uh, the advertisers. Funding. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a problem, by the way. I'm already talking to brands who are dying. I bet, yeah. That's not an issue. Um, the issue is yeah. just raising enough funding to build the pilot. Um, because unfortunately, in this case, um, this is not a brain and network. Are, this is actually hiring developers to, to build, you know. To create it. Well, you heard it here, investors. Come while the opportunity, yeah, yeah, is is Smash there before someone else scoops it up. Exactly, and make everything a bit more, make advertising more creative and fun again, right? Yeah, precisely. I mean, I mean, Im- imagine the can lions winners that would come out of here for the ads. <laughs> yeah, I was th- as you were talking, I was thinking body for you know Labrest that phenomenal yeah. campaign, yeah. the first yeah. to show red blood. But yes, yeah, so yeah. many more, like you know. Absolutely. The the opportunity is huge. Cindy, fantastic. Thank you so much. What what advice would you give to anyone looking to change, um, make change in the industry, insight change? What would you say to them? Um, <laughs> um, start your own industry. Um, don't try and change the system from within. You can't. You absolutely can't. Start your own industry. Start from without. Thank you so much, Cindy Gallup. Wonderful Brilliant. to have Thank you Thank you so with much. Us. Great to have you on the show. And we'll be keeping um, keeping our eyes peeled for your new venture as well. Absolute pleasure. <laughs>